Welcome, I'm Pastor Abraham, and I want to thank you for tuning in to Sun Valley Podcast. You can check out our church on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube for worship thoughts, devotionals, and the latest events happening at our church. We hope you are blessed by this week's message. Today, uh, we are going through, again, the story of Isaiah. And so we are in Isaiah chapter 43. And today (laughs) um, is going to be a fun sermon because... So one of the things that I've been trying to do is I've been trying to um, stray away a bit, uh, not entirely, but a bit every once in a while from the traditional sermon style. And so one of the goals that I have been having in conversations with people is, is to have more discussion. So have an opportunity for people to uh, kind of discuss together in person. And so the last time we did one of these was on the, the weekend of Thanksgiving and, and uh, there, was, there was small numbers. And so we had planned to do it this week <laughs> and... Uh, we have large numbers today again. Um, so and so we, I hadn't planned anything outright and official, but um, we had planned to hopefully do a discussion sermon and, and, and discuss it together with you. But, uh, but the restrictions hit us on Thursday, and so uh, we're kind of uh, reframing this. And so um, what I'm going to do, hopefully, is, is just kind of lead you through, through, this, through this guide and, and, uh, and kind of ask questions and, and ask questions maybe... Uh, for, for you to kind of think about on your own as you, as you listen and as you watch. And uh, we'll just kind of go through this together. But uh, Isaiah chapter 43 should be available for you on the screen as we read it. We're going to start in verse 1. Isaiah chapter 43, verse 1. It says this, But now, this is what the Lord says, He, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. Um, and we're going to take up, we're just going to pause every once in a while here to kind of talk about some things that stick out. Um, one of the things that sticks out for me here is, is this idea of having been summoned by name. Um, so I'm actually reading through the book of Jeremiah as well as, as we prep for uh, Jeremiah next year. We'll be, we'll be kind of jumping into uh, the prophet Jeremiah in, in 2021. Uh, but one of the things that we find in Jeremiah is that God had called Jeremiah by name. And one of the first instances that he has when he calls Jeremiah is he says, I have, I have formed you, I have created you, I have called you for the specific purpose for this prophecy, for, for proclaiming this message to the people. And God says, long before you were born, as long before you were born, while you were still in the womb, I have called you. And, and actually, it's interesting because this idea of being called in the womb is not something that is unique to Israel. It's something that many other nations of the time would have been saying. Uh, one, of the, one of the Egyptian pharaohs, it said that the God had called him from the womb as well. It's this idea that this power, this purpose comes from long before we're born. But in Jeremiah, God says to Jeremiah, I've called you even before you were conceived. Further back. Even before your parents got together, even before the seed was planted for you to be born, he says, I have called you, I have given you this purpose. And so I love this idea of of Isaiah. He says, because God is speaking now to Jacob and to Israel. And you have to remember that here in this chapter of, of Isaiah, the people are already in Babylonian exile. They're already taken from Jerusalem. They're already uh, have experienced the destruction of the city, the destruction of the temple. And so one of the questions that would have been on the minds of the people at the time, is where is our God? They would have asked, where is Yahweh? Why isn't he here? Why is this stuff happening to us? And so I think a lot of the times that we have this similar question in our own hearts and our own minds, right? 
when we experience difficulties or when we experience trials, one of the first questions I know for me, and this is a terrible tendency, but for me, one of the first questions I ask is, why is this happening? We want answers, right? And when we serve this powerful God, one of the questions that comes to mind is, then why, God, why have you done this to me? Where, where are you? Might be the question that we ask. And God starts off Isaiah 43 by saying, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. It's not a generic call that God places over our lives. It is a specific call. He says, I have summoned you by name, for you are mine. God takes possession and ownership of our lives in a way that is protective, that is caring. And we continue in verse 2. He says, for when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. Verse 3, for I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior, I give Egypt for your ransom, Cush and Seba in your stead. I want to pause here, verse 2. When, I pass, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. You know, I think sometimes um, when we have this walk with God, we think that things are going to get better immediately. I don't know if you guys have ever... Uh, kind of fallen into this ideology where it's just like, man, like I'm choosing God, so things should be getting better, right? I've chosen the right way, so things should be getting easier. But God says, and, and, and it's interesting because you won't really find anywhere in the Bible that, promise you that promises you that the second that you choose to follow God, that your path will be just automatically easier. The Bible doesn't promise you that. But it promises you something better. Because, because the world that we find is so chaotic, it is so sinful, and there's so many things that, that happen, so many things that can go wrong. I mean, all of our plans can be thrown by the wayside. Just like this weekend's plan to have a discussion sermon was just completely thrown away by the fact that now we can't gather in person. But that's okay, because God says when you pass through the waters, he says, he doesn't say there won't be waters. He doesn't say there won't be rivers. He doesn't say there won't be fire. What he says is when you pass through them, when you walk through them, when you go through them, God says, I will be with you. I will be there. You don't go through it alone. You don't struggle alone. You don't walk alone because I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, through the running waters, they will not sweep over you. They will not overtake you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. Now, two things that this reminds me. When you pass through the rivers, I'm instantly drawn back. And I'm sure the Israelites would have been too, because they're so keen. They're so drawn to their stories of the past. The first thing I think of when God says, when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. I think of the story in Joshua where the people of Israel were crossing over to the promised land and they had to cross the Jordan River. And God said, as soon as you step into the waters, it will, it will split for you. God says, just step into the waters and don't worry. And this river, man, the, the Jordan River was just running wild. It's, one of the, it's, it's a deep river. It's a wide river. In some places, it can get as, as wide as a mile wide. And, and in, the, in the torrential rain periods, the waters of the Jordan River are so incredibly strong, it could sweep away absolutely anyone. 
But God promised the people of Israel, says, as soon as you step into the waters, I will make a way for you. And they do. They step into the waters and God holds up the river so that Israel can cross on completely dry land. And the story tells us in Joshua that as soon as they had crossed over, then the river began to flow again. And I think of this, that as soon as you pass through rivers, they will not sweep over you. And I remember again, the people are in Babylonian exile. And if you're familiar with the story of the Bible, you might know something, another story that might remind you here. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. What story might that remind you of? I've got five people in the audience, so I'm going to talk to them, if you don't mind. You can also chat in the comments if you'd like to. What story might this remind you of? When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. right? They can't hear you, don't worry. <laughs> Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were reminded of the story of, of Nebuchadnezzar when he sets up this giant idol, and he says, anyone who, who, or as soon as the trumpets sound, you are to bow down. Anyone who does not bow down is to be thrown into the pit and into the fire. And we find in the story that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, three Hebrew boys that were serving in, in Nebuchadnezzar's court, they refused to bow down and worship. They said, we cannot bow down and worship your God. We have to worship our God. He's the only one. And they say, and there's something so interesting, they say, even if you throw us into the fire, we will not bow down. But they're respectful, right? They say, O king, live forever. They're respectful to, to this king. But they say, but we cannot follow what you're asking because it goes against what God has asked us to do. And they say, and even, this is bravery. They said, this is faith. They said, even if God does not protect us from the fire, we still won't worship the idol. And so the story goes that Nebuchadnezzar throws them into the fire and, and they're, they're, the fire is, is, is so hot that even the attendants who were, who were throwing wood and whatever into the fire, that, that they died from the heat coming out of this furnace. And yet these three Hebrew men were thrown into the furnace, into the fire. And the story goes that not a single hair on their head was burnt. Their clothes didn't even smell like smoke. Remember, Isaiah is speaking. This is Isaiah 43. They're in Babylon now. We don't know if he's referring specifically to that same event, but this idea is carried out that God has not only promised this, it's not just a thing that God is saying to you. It's not just empty words and empty promises and nice thoughts that when you pass through the rivers, they won't sweep over you, that when you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. It is fact. There are stories that support this idea that Isaiah is speaking in verse 2. There are stories where Israel has passed through the rivers and has not been overtaken. There are stories where the people have walked through the fire and the flames have not set them ablaze. And so the promise of God is that whenever you walk through these rivers, whenever you walk through these fires, you don't have to worry because God goes with you. And I love the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Because they say, even if God doesn't, even if God doesn't protect us, we know that following God is still worth it. It's so beautiful, this idea that, that God has promised us that we can walk through the rivers, we can walk through life, we can walk through the fires, knowing that God goes with us. And then verse 3, For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt for your ransom, Cush and Seba in your stead. Since you are precious and honored in my sight, and because I love you, I will give men 
in exchange for you, and people, nations, in exchange for your life. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. I will bring your children from the east and gather you from the west, from the places you are scattered. I will say to the north, give them up, bring them back. And to the south, I will say, do not hold them back. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, who I created for my glory, whom I formed and I have made. I love this because God is saying, he says, you are precious, you are honored in my sight. Verse 4, and because I love you, God says, I will exchange everything for you. I'll exchange the world, I'll exchange nations, I'll exchange Egypt, this, this place of, of abundance and these places of riches. Is I will exchange everything just to have you. For my sons and for my daughters, for the ones that are called by my name, the ones that I have created for my glory, the ones that I have formed and I have made. God takes ownership of us. He says, I have created you. I have called you by, my, by name and not just by name, but I have called you by my name. I place my holy name on you and I call you out out of all the places where you are scattered, out of all the places where you are hidden, out of all the places where you are oppressed. God says, I have called you out and I will trade everything in the world just to have you. And I love that idea because we were just, we were just talking about this in our, in our university, in our Connection Bible study this week on Wednesday, a small group of us were reading through the book of Romans and we were talking about this idea that Jesus has, has given his life for us, that his sacrifice has just kind of overcome everything, has completely overcome sin, has defeated everything and has ransomed us, it has reconciled us to God. That's what Paul says. This idea that this sin creates this animosity, it creates this separation, it creates this, this enmity, this hatred between us and God, that's what sin does. And then, God, and then Paul says, God, through the sacrifice of Jesus, has reconciled, has forgiven us, has made peace, has created a pact, a covenant, a promise with us in order to save us. And I love this because Isaiah is saying, long before Jesus came, Isaiah is saying, God promises to trade the world for you. Everything. Everything he owns. Everything he has. The question, question we might ask is, what would, we be tra- what, be, what would we be willing to trade for the people that we love? Would we give up everything? Would we give up our lives? Would we give up our finances, our security, our hopes, our ideas for the future? Would we be willing to give that up for the people that we love? Some of you might answer yes. Some of us might be hesitant. Some of us might be weighing the options depending on how much I love this person. But the, but the thing that I love about this is that God says, I'm willing to exchange it all. And God is not a being that owns a small portion. God is not a being that has, has, has just allotted this, this small group. He has limited finances. He has limited resources. No, God is literally the, the God of the entire universe. He owns it all. He has possession over all of creation. Every single molecule in existence, God has in possession of that. And he says, I'm willing to trade it all. And this all isn't just a small portion. Because if we were to lay down everything we have for someone we love, that's a great feat. I mean, that's a great sacrifice. But still what we have is so minuscule, so small in comparison to the God who literally owns everything. And yet God says, I'm trading all of that for you. 
And God goes so far, we find in the New Testament, that God goes so far as to trade his very life for ours. And you find in the story that when Jesus is going through this moment in the Garden of Gethsemane, he's praying before the Heavenly Father. And he says, God, he says, please take this cup away from me. Please don't let me go through this sacrifice. Don't let me go through this death. But he says, but, it, but, it, but not my will, not what I want, but what you want. And there's a reason that Jesus didn't want to go through it is because he knew he was going to take on all of the sin, all of the sin of mankind on his shoulders. He was going to feel as separated as we could possibly feel from God. Jesus, God himself, was going to take on this sin, was going to nail it to the cross. And Jesus didn't know if that sin would, would, would separate him from God eternally. He didn't know. And so he was, he was worried. He was worried about what was going to happen. And, and yet he still, despite the uncertainty, despite not knowing what was going to happen, he still went through it all. He trusted in God. He trusted in the power of God to resurrect him from the grave, to be a redemption, to be a, a, a sacrifice for all of mankind. And I want to I let you know that like this sin that Jesus took on isn't just the choices that we make. It's not just the actions. Because the Bible, it separates this idea of the sin of our choice and sin as a whole. Right? Sin is the, is, the, is, the, is the choices that we make when we break God's law. But there's also just sinfulness in general. Sinfulness that is the chaos, that is the death, that is the destruction in the world. And yet Jesus took that on. He took all of it on. And he literally traded everything he could possibly give. Jesus gave, laid down his life, gave his life for us in exchange for us. And I love what Isaiah says. Why did God do it? He says, because we are precious and honored in his sight, verse 4 because he loves us. It wasn't out of some legal obligation. It wasn't out of some uh, parental duty. It wasn't out of something that was tying God's hand that he had to go through with. No, it was because he deeply loved you and me. He deeply loved us, so much so that he's willing to give it all away just for a chance a chance at being with us. So we continue reading verse 8. It says, Lead out those who have eyes but are blind, those who have ears but are deaf. All the nations gather together and the people assemble. It says, Which of them foretold this and proclaimed to us the former things? Let them bring in their witnesses to prove they were right so that others may hear and say it is true. But God says, You are my witnesses, declares the Lord and my servants whom I have chosen, so that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me no God was formed, nor will there be one after me. I, even I, am the Lord, and apart from me there is no Savior. I have revealed, I have saved, I have proclaimed, I, God says, not some foreign God among you, for you are my witnesses, declares the Lord, that I am God, yes, and from ancient of days I am him. No one can deliver out of my hand when I act. Who can reverse it? Isaiah is telling us there is no savior except the God Almighty. 
There is no one who has foretold the things that are to come. There is no one who can redeem like God can. There is no one who can save like God can. There is only one path to salvation. That's why he says, there is no savior except for me. Apart from me, there is no savior for I have revealed, I have saved, I have proclaimed. And that's one of the things that, that I find is that in, in so many stories and mythologies of, of, of different gods and, and, and different things, uh, I'm li- I'm, Alyssa and I are, are listening to um, the, kind of the Greek mythology and, and we're listening to, to an audible book uh, kind of highlighting some of the, the, the whole from the very beginning of Greek mythology to the very end of it. Uh, we're listening through that and then I'm also listening through a lecture series on Mesopotamia and, and, and their gods and it's so interesting uh, what happens. But, but what we find is that in, in all of these mythologies, in all of these stories, no God has ever completely given up everything just for the sake of his people. It's usually the other way around. In all of these stories, in all of these mythos, you find that the people are giving everything. They sacrifice everything in order to save their God or to feed their God or to clothe their God or sustain their God. But the reverse is true in the story of the Bible that this Yahweh, this God, this Savior, he's the one who sacrifices it all, all just for us. Instead of us giving everything for him, he sacrifices everything for us first. And that's the beauty of the story that all these other mythos, in order to receive the, the forgiveness or the appeasement or the grace of the gods, you would sacrifice. But God does it the other way around. Even before we had chosen him, even while we were still sinning and rejecting him, even while we were still doing all the other stuff and sacrificing to all the other idols and all the other gods, God comes and saves and redeems long before we have done anything according to religious standards of the time to have earned that grace. And that's the thing is that God gives it completely free without anything in return on our behalf. And that's what, that's what God says. He says, no other God has done this. He says, who? He says, prove it. Who? Which of the gods? Which of the nations have prophesied this? Which of the ones have promised the salvation, the deliverance that I have promised? He says, I, even I am the Lord. And apart from me, there is no savior. He says, there is no other God who can do this. It is just I. That's the beautiful thing of the promise that we find in the story of the Bible is that this God who promises everything to give up everything, he actually goes through with the promise. And he does give up everything, all for us, long before we had done anything. And we're going to jump to, to verse 22 here, uh, chapter 43, verse 22, because this is what he set up this thing. Isaiah has set up this, uh, uh, this structure where God is promising to give everything. And, and then he's, now he's going to switch to us. He's going to switch to what we've done, right? Verse 22 says, despite the fact that I have promised and proclaimed salvation and deliverance for my people, despite that I have promised to give absolutely everything, verse 22, it says, yet, yet you have not called upon me, O Jacob. Yet you have not wearied yourself for me, O Israel. You have not brought me sheep for burnt offerings, nor honored me with your sacrifices. I have not, I have not uh, burdened you with grain offerings, nor wearied you with demand for incenses. I haven't asked for those things. You have not brought any fragrant calamus for me or lavished on me the fat of your sacrifices, but you have burdened me with your sins and wearied me with your, off- with your offenses. God says, I haven't asked for your sacrifices. 
He says, but you haven't blessed me with your sacrifices. Even despite all the good things that I've done for you, he says, you haven't done those things. Instead, what you have done, instead of blessing me with the sacrifices, he says, you have burdened, burdened me with your sins. And he continues, verse 25, and this is what I love. I, even I, am the one who blots out your transgressions for my own sake and remembers your sins no more. It says, review the past for me. Let us argue the matter together. State the case for your innocence. Your first father sinned. Your spokesman rebelled against me. So I will disgrace the dignitaries of your temple and I will consign Jacob to destruction and Israel to scorn. This is the, 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 the sin, the destruction of the sin that comes on of the choices of the people. But God says this, review the past for me. Let, it, let us argue the matter together. State the case for your innocence. Are you truly innocent? He says, no. He says, your fathers have sinned. Your leaders have sinned. All the people have rebelled against me. You haven't offered the sacrifices. But verse 25, this is the shining star of the verse. And I love this verse. Verse 25, he says, I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions, not for sacrifices, not in exchange for worship, not in exchange for obedience, not in exchange for monetary value and all these other things. Why does God blot out our transgressions? Why does God forgive us and remember our sins no more? Verse 25, he says, for my own sake, for my name's sake, God says. This is the beautiful thing. God doesn't require our sacrifices. He says it here. He says he doesn't require our burnt offerings and our incense offerings, and our grain offerings, our fragrant calamus, uh, the, the fat of our sacrifices. He doesn't require all these things. Instead, he gives completely free, completely freely, he gives this grace, this forgiveness, blots out our transgressions, not because of the things that we have done or the things that we have offered, but rather for his own name's sake. God forgives because that's who he is. God redeems because that's who he is. God saves because that's who he is. I wanted to jump to Exodus chapter 34, one of my favorite places in the Bible, because this is where we find the name of God. And God says, this is my name. He speaks to Moses, Exodus chapter 34, verse 5. It won't be on the screen for you, but I'll just read it for you. Then the Lord came down in a cloud and stood there with him, with Moses, and proclaimed his name. Proclaimed the name of the Lord, gave Moses his name, the Lord. And he says, and he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming Yahweh, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and for forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. When God proclaims his name to Moses, when God gives his name and proclaims who he is, he says, I am compassionate, I am gracious, I am forgiving rebellion and sin, forgiving the transgressions of the people. He says, that's who I am. That is my character. That is my attribute. It's not just something God does. It's something God is. And so when God says, I am the one who blots out your transgressions, he says, I don't do it because you have earned it. I don't do it because you have deserved it. He says, I do it because that's who I am. I love this. Because there's nothing we can do. There's nothing we could give. There's nothing we could sacrifice in order to receive or earn this forgiveness. In fact, the story of Isaiah 
And really our own histories prove that we've done the opposite. That we constantly go to other idols. That we constantly fail to, to honor God. That we constantly fail to worship God properly by giving, by giving to God in love, in action, in mercy, and grace. We have failed to do all the things that would require this, this blessing of God or that would give us this blessing of God. And God still says, despite the fact that you have failed, despite the fact that you are imperfect, despite the fact that you've chased after other gods, God says, I forgive you. I blot out your transgressions. I remember your sins no more for my own sake. Independent of us, independent of anything we do, God forgives for his own name's sake. And I love, we're going to keep reading uh, chapter 44. Not all of it. We're just going to read the first five verses, five verses of chapter 44. It says, But now listen, O Jacob, my servant Israel, whom I have chosen. He reminds us again that I have cho- that he has chosen us. He says, this is what the Lord says. He, this is what the Lord says. The one who made you, the one who formed you in the womb, the one who will help you, that one, that God says, do not be afraid, O Jacob. I'm going to wrap up here so we can have the band come on up. Uh, he says, do not be afraid, O Jacob, my servant, Jeshurun, whom I have chosen, for I will pour out water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour out my spirit on your offspring, and my blessing on your descendants. They will spring up like grass in a meadow, like poplar trees by flowing streams, constantly fed and nourished. One will say, I belong to the Lord's. Another will call himself by the name of Jacob. Still another will write on his hand the Lord's and will take the name of Israel. It's beautiful at the end of the story here, chapter 44, God says, God says, I will bless the land. I will restore it. Despite the fact that you're in exile now, despite the fact that you're in tribulations and troubles and trials, despite the fact that you have not chosen me, that you have chased after other gods, that you have done all these other things that are despicable and detestable and, and have failed to honor God, says, I have forgiven you. I have blotted out your transgressions for my name's sake and for his own sake, for the sake of his love for us, for his name. He says, I will then give water to a thirsty land, streams on the dry ground. I will pour out my spirit on your offspring, chapter 44, verse 3 says, and my blessings on your descendants. I love this because so often I am struggling with my own sin and I'm struggling with who I want to be, who I think I should be, and who I truly am. And this voice of God speaks tenderly to my heart as he has spoken here in Isaiah chapter 43. He says, I know you haven't done right by me. It says, I know you have failed to live up to the standards of holiness. I know that you have failed to live up to righteousness. I know that you have failed to follow the commandments. I know that you have failed to honor me, to worship me properly, to do all these things. I know that you've chased after all these other gods. I know that you've, you've placed all these other things and ideas and, and, and objects above me. But God says, but, but I forgive you. And I love you. Because you are precious and you are honored in my sight. As I will restore you, I will redeem you, I will save you, not because of anything that you've done, but because that is who I am, God says. 
And the beautiful thing is that God doesn't just promise to get us out of the situation, to get us out of the trials and out of the troubles and out of the waters and out of the fire. He doesn't just leave us there. He says, I will promise to bless you further. Not only will I take you out of this land and restore you and redeem you and draw you to me, he says, but I will bless you. I will pour out my spirit on your offspring. I will pour out my blessings on your descendants. And you will know that you belong to the Lord. He says, you will know that you have a home. You will know that the Lord, the Lord is your God, your Savior, because there is none other who can save. I love verse 5, chapter 44. One will say, proudly proclaim, I belong to the Lord. And another will call himself by the name of Jacob. And still another will write on his hand so that he never forgets. He'll write the Lord's. Because I belong to God. I don't belong to sin and death anymore. For I have been restored and I have been redeemed and I have been saved and I have been forgiven by the sacrifice of Jesus. The beautiful story that we find here, the promise of Isaiah that leads us to the promise of Jesus, is that there's nothing we've done, there's nothing we do to earn salvation, but rather God just claims us because we are his long before we were in the womb. God has chosen us, given us a purpose and has destined us to be saved by his grace. And so we can proudly proclaim, I belong to the Lord, for I have been saved and I have been redeemed. Amen.